Welcome to tonight's episode of the Remso Martinez Experience. Before we get started, I want to go ahead and give a shout out to some of this episode's sponsors. From self-publishing to podcasting and passive income development, I offer ongoing self-development courses at Champion Pundit Academy, as well as one-on-one private consultations to take you from zero to hero in no time. Learn more at championpunditacademy.com. That's championpunditacademy.com. You want to know what you need more of in your life? Politics. Yeah, nobody ever said that. But if you've got to go ahead and spend money on one nonfiction book, it's got to be the ultimate clash of wisdom, awesomeness, and then obviously the politics. But why not a little bit of comedy? Why not a little bit of a memoir? Why not something that's going to make you say, hey, I actually enjoyed reading this. I laughed. I learned something in the process. Check out my book. It's an Amazon bestseller. You may have heard of it. It's Stay Away from the Libertarians. It talks about all the things you think you might know about libertarians, plus a lot of things that I bet dollars to donuts you don't know about. You can get it on Amazon and Barnes & Noble online. So go on right now. You can get it in print or ebook or Kindle or whatever you call it. Just go out and get it on Amazon or Barnes & Noble online today. It's Stay Away from the Libertarians by Remso W. Martinez. Happens to be me. We want a movie or a book deal? The trials and tribulations of the liar who said he's not a liar. CD lawyer Michael Cohen continues today as he went ahead before Congress, hopefully, hopes to God, the last time. I'm Remsa W. Martinez, and this is the Remsa Martinez Experience. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the program today. Go ahead and do me a quick favor. Go ahead and follow me on Twitter at Remso4 VA, all spelled out, R-E-M-S-O-F-O-R-V-A. Follow me on Twitter. I'll follow you back. That way we can keep this conversation going. Today I'm going to go ahead and cover a topic which I have tried to avoid like a bad STD coming out of Malaysia. This is dealing with another person that you may have heard of if you've lived the past couple of years. This is uh, President Donald J. Trump's former personal attorney, Michael Cohen, who is having a bit of a bad day getting batted back and forth between congressmen as he's about to go to jail in a couple months for committing perjury before Congress. But he's out there today. He's been on, uh, on TV and on the radio and everything during this hearing for the past several hours. And what can I tell you that we've learned? Not much. But I don't want to be the only one to go ahead and give my thoughts on this. Today we have a special guest, uh, Mr. Charlie LaDuff, a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist, formerly at New York, New York Times and the Detroit News and Detroit's Fox 2 News. The author of Detroit, U.S. Guys, Work and Otherson, and recently, Shit Show, The Country's Collapsing and the Ratings Are Great. Charlie, thank you so much for joining the program today. Oh, thanks for having me on, brother. I appreciate it. So... How does Michael Cohen affect your life? Because it seems like everyone on TV, and I was reading an article from Fox, it said this is going to be the defining moment in American history. I, I see that we're probably going to bitch about this for the next couple of days, and then much like everything else in the news cycle, this is just going to go ahead and jump into the ash heap of history. 
Could be. I mean, let, let, you know, look, I got up, made some coffee, got to get off to school, blew my knee out, went and did some, you know, working out, some physical therapy, drove to work, listened to some of it, listened to some of it now, and uh, I got to go back to work. <laughs> you know, well, I don't know. I didn't get to hear all of it, and I don't have cable just because I don't want to be drowned out by talking heads, but what is new? Okay, look, uh, the man's going to prison for lying to Congress. There's hush money, campaign finance violations, possibly. Um, he was involved with, you know, the Trump Tower project in Moscow. Didn't expect to be president. Um, what's here? Well, I think we've made our decision. I don't think Mueller's coming with indictments on Trump. He's going to come with a report, and you're going to see. I don't think you, you, you've seen the last of it, right? I think what you're going to see is a bunch of congressional committees gearing up, looking at his taxes. I, I doubt, and I don't want to be quoted forever in life on this, I, I don't think there's going to be impeachment hearings. So what are we doing here? It's a shit show, that's for sure. <laughs> From your mouth to God's ears. We're, we're looking at you agree with that? Just, though? You agree with that, though? Because, you know, I'm not, I'm not a talking head. Oh, no, I, I do agree, because at this point, let, let's look at it. His, his favorable ratings amongst Republican voters, so Republicans that voted in the 2018 midterms and the 2016 general election, they have an 82%, according to uh, Reuters and uh, Fox News and Town Hall, they have an 82% approval rating of Donald Trump. So only about 18% of Republicans don't like him, but they'll probably begrudgingly vote for him again in 2020, or maybe sit out. We don't know. When we look at the recent national polls amongst Democrats, Independents, Republicans, he has record high approval ratings, 52%. Now, you apply 52% anywhere else, and people are like, okay, so 48% of you is a failure, 48% of the country hates you. But in terms of a sitting U.S. president that's about a year away from another general election, 52% is rather high. A second term? Yeah, but wait a minute. Is it? See, because, look, I don't live – and breathe this. I live, eat, and breathe life, and my local politics. And you, you know, I mean, that's the stuff that really affects me. Polls come and go. Last time I heard it was in the 30s. And probably so it, next week it'll be in the 70s, and the week after that it'll be in the 20s. You see where I'm going with this? At this point, nothing, nothing really indicates that anything that Cohen will go ahead and release or what Mueller will go ahead and release, he's been saying he's going to go ahead and release the report next week and the week after that, and the week after that. He's been saying next week for the past two months. So at this point, we've been going on this whole thing for several years. People are tired of it. People are tuning out. If you hate Trump, you're probably still going to hate him. If you love him, you're probably still going to love him. I don't necessarily see any of this changing anyone's hearts or minds at this point. Yeah, look, in, 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 the, in the great middle, 60% of voters don't belong to a party. Right? They don't. So how's your life going? What's the economy doing? What are your wages doing? How are your benefits? What, what's your debt? Right? How, how do you really live? Do you fear for your kid's future? These are the real things. And then these are the things that, you know, are missing from, let's say, the airwaves. Because you're, let's go back to when Trump won and it was the hand-wringing and the mea culpa. And we have to rethink what we're doing is reporters, journalists, uh, commentators got to get back with the American people, figure out, you know, how they're doing and what they're thinking. But I don't, 
see us very much. You know, we, we from the great middle. I don't see us being represented as people, as countrymen. You know what I mean? If GM is going to close its last manufacturing plant in Detroit, you can't buy a Cadillac in Detroit, the town founded by Cadillac. What are wages doing? What are your savings? Is there a bubble in the Dow? Right? Why is Amazon paying no? Why do I pay more than Amazon? Me personally. How can this be? These are big. These are big questions too that don't get much attention. Trump, yes, it's a big deal. Yes, it's a shit show in Washington. But that's all we've said. So what am I supposed to do? Okay, it's Melania heels one week, right? And it's you know Putin in in uh, what was it Helsinki? Was it in Finland? The Trump, and it was, Something you know, like that. Yeah. yeah, wherever it was. And the great betrayal of Trump. Each week, it's, it's the same volume. We're yelling at the same volume. So forgive me, and I'm not a stupid man, but what's important and what's not? Is Cohen important today? Am I hearing anything? Is, is Trump a con man? Kind of a shiesty character? Yeah. Did I know that? Yeah. Did everybody know that? Yeah. Did they vote him in anyway? Sure did. So what is it? What is this? Is this a preamble to the next shit show, the next boring presidential cycle? Because that is the worst reality show ever. This guy changed the game. And truth be told, media's on board with it, man. Yeah, they're, they're complicit at this point. And uh, kind of move things a little bit further. I mean, this you, you express this in your book, Shit Show. And folks, you can go ahead and get it in uh, on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, anywhere that books are sold. It's a pretty and, good book. Oh, I do, and I did love the audio version because you actually did narrate this one. Yes, I did. And, it, and it, it, I was it, just it was injecting wild. lines in it. You know, I went, I went <laughs> off, I went off res and just started injecting lines into the book. So it's a little bit different than the hard copy. But Definitely. it is, it is a book. Basically, what it does is, it, it, you know, as, as I was a uh, national correspondent for Fox Television, it was, it was called The Americans, and we were looking for people on the border, uh, guys working in the oil fields. Uh, we're in the middle of the riots in Ferguson, Baltimore, Detroit, on the campaign trail with Trump, carpooling with the Grand Dragon of the KKK, all of it. And so trying to get a ground level view at the United States. And, uh, you know, you tell me who else has written that. Very, very few people. And I, I was on YouTube last night watching uh, some of the live streams you did from Ferguson. And as I look back at what you did on the Americans, whether or not you were, you know, crossing the U.S.-Mexican border in a banana hammock or whether you were squatting in a squatter's house that wasn't really their house, it, it seems like there's, you know, we, we talked about this disconnect online, all over the place. People are like, I don't trust the media. I have a very, you know, a very low opinion of journalism. When it comes to the stories that were actually, you know, that are actually affecting our lives, one term that has been brought to my attention is the fact that we're in a media desert. How is it that in the most connected, the most high-speed, 24-7 news circuit period in human history – America has news deserts and that well, the stories that are actually affecting people aren't actually getting in front of them. 
because we're connected, but we don't touch each other. That's one. You know, we all sit there, take a dump in the morning, scroll through the phone. Somebody, New York Times, Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, does a big story. And a thousand outlets comment on it. So it's a, a you know, a chattering culture now. Uh, the other bit is this. I mean, th- those entities I just laid out, New York Times, Washington Post, uh, Wall Street Journal, <laughs> they do a fantastic job covering Washington. They do. You know, they do. We are, we're talking about it right now. But what's dying, you know, and we all know why, because of advertising, Facebook, Google, and it's, it's killed the, the revenue stream for local media. That's where it really happens. Because what what is Washington? It's a clubhouse. It's the clearinghouse. It's where all the tribes from around the country meet, right? Divide the spoils and go home. And they're supposed to be spent here. But they never seem to be spent properly. The roads are a mess. The schools are a mess. I could go on and on and on. You know, we got Flint here. We got Detroit. And if the local media is afraid, they can't defend themselves. They don't want to go to court. You know, I mean, it's, it's easy to bully them. And when you're able to bully them and they're laying people off and laying people off, your community is not covered. You can't follow the pots of money, nor do you have time to make it interesting. You understand what I'm saying? Because... In the new culture with, you know, sound and pictures and whatnot, you've also got to be interesting. It's got to be funny or sad or wan or outrage. It's, it has to, it has to have something because the, you know, the, 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 the anchorman with the puffed up chest and the makeup, that's man, everybody left. You know, it's just fake shit. And so where are we? Murder du jour, puppy dog, cooking segment. You understand what I mean? That's why money and a reporting class that's, that's just not in tune with people. People don't look at reporters as part of the community, not very few of them. They look at them as a political class. And the more they drink with the political class and hang out and parrot it and, uh, uh, want to be part of the cool kids club. The, the, there's a wider gulf between you and the audience, which is your fellow citizen. So whatever you got to do, I think is loosen the tie or get rid of it. Roll up your sleeves, get down with the people, get involved in their life, take a look at it and then go home to your basement as a reporter and spend your own personal time. If you're really committed to the job and the people, Read the contracts, read the spreadsheets, read the indictments, read the statistics, run the, uh, the data on, say, police response times, whatever it may be. Do that on your own time so when it, you're getting paid, you're already prepared and you're now able to find the story or, or, or find the life or find the working mom. That's the, that's how I approach it, and I, I just think yes, yeah, just everything reads like a term paper, and it and it's the same thing. And I'm you know I'm a reporter, and I'm bored with it. You met, you mentioned this, and it, it's what about you? What do you? Well, I'm sorry, I'm sorry now, but I'm going to ask you, what do you think? I think because you're, you're a guy that consumes it. Yeah, I, I think it's not one of those things that you necessarily truly grasp and understand until you really start to see how the sausage is made, so to speak. 
for the longest time, and I, I live right outside of D.C. over in Fairfax County, one of the, one of the most affluent, wealthy neighborhoods. Wait, you know, I used to I used to live in Fairfax County. Oh, you until the, yeah, until the uh, state trooper told me to move my van. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you know what I'm talking about, but you know, it, it's very easy to get caught up in this. You know, I, I call it the, um, the Capitol Hill Club culture. You, you mentioned that's a club, but, you know, I used to remember if, if you got invited, if you were a policy analyst or if you were a white paper pusher or, uh, or a reporter or something, and you got invited to the Capitol Hill Club, for example, I mean, primarily if you ride the center because it's owned by the Republicans, like you made it. And for the longest time in my life, it was my goal, not necessarily to be good at what I did or necessarily change hearts and minds, because, you know, you're in Washington, everything Everything is based off good intentions but hollow promises. My goal at the time was to get invited for a lunch there. And it wasn't until years later I found myself, you know, kicked on the streets on my ass. You know, not, not a lot of people know this about me, but I, I was a I was a bit of a wage security guard. I was a mall cop for a while. I was unemployed for a longer period. And then I, I worked at GameStop for minimum wage. Here I am, I've got BioLives, I just come out with a book. And I've got a degree, and my boss is a high schooler. But what all those experiences did, you know, coming from the inside out, going from being a, an outside observer talking about the struggles of the working in the middle class to now being part of it, there, there's, this, there's this veil, so to speak. And when I go ahead and I write stories about what it was like, you know, when I'm working with small cops who are from the Ivory Coast or from Nicaragua or Mexico, when I'm talking about the 17 Mexicans who are in a van who are traveling to a construction job to make 8.50 an hour while, you know, everyone else is making about 11.50 doing the same job because they speak English, you start to necessarily see these people as actual human beings and a lot less like, you know, the, the puppets that you're going to see on TV. Yeah, so they plugged into that. So you understand the immigrant experience. Then you understand the, the guy that's got to compete with the immigrant because 11.50 is no great shakes, man. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, what happened? I'm telling you right now, and I'm telling you listeners, if we want to talk about how reportage should work, you best stay plugged in to the people, right? Because they're going to have their day. They're going to have their moment. This shit is rocky. Like, $22 trillion in debt, right? Going up. Poor services. Uh we have job creation, but we're not making anything. Take take inflation into account and take the financial sector out of it, and we're losing ground, right? When the next bubble hits, we have subprime again, but with automobiles. That's the second biggest thing you can purchase in your life. We already went through the mortgages, right? Here comes the next one. Every time the Fed Federal Reserve raises interest rates one quarter of 1%, the world goes into a panic, right? The stock market ping-pongs. If you're lucky and you're in the top 50% of, of the country, you own some kind of stock. And then one-tenth of 1% owns what? 40% of the stock? Is it 1% or 2 I forget, right? But it's the wealth disparity is insane. See, 2008 is not over. We're still living with the consequences of it, the, the tremendous wealth shift. Mexico's dealing with it, right? They have gasoline riots. Brazil's dealing with it. Europe is dealing with it all over. The Middle East is dealing with it. 
stay with the people, right? But be an egghead. Be an egghead in private. Know your stuff. And then be able to explain what's going on out there with that kind of information. So I think congratulations. Yeah, man. There's a, the most highly educated mall cop there is. That's you. But I oh, would I could read. read. Therefore, I was like the most badass, intelligent mall cop ever because I could read and write. See, then why didn't you write <laughs> about that? Don't you remember George Orwell in the 30s wrote Down and Out in Paris and London? The 30s were the Depression, which, you know, preceded the, the big war. The guy came up with a cultural document just by banging around on the bump, just by washing dishes and living in homeless shelters. You know, like, I'm not saying a, a mall cop is a bum or, you know, but this is where it's at, man. This is what we do. This is the country. So you might want to write that because, you know, if, if they befriended you and they respected you, you owe them that. Write them down so our grandchildren know who we were and why they are as they are. That's the great thing about journalism. That's why I like to jump into that uh, brown shoe cult you're talking about. Never trust a man in brown shoes. They're all wearing brown shoes now, you know what I'm saying? They're the elite. Everybody's wearing brown shoes. They're like geese just following each other. Get with the people. Be able to jump into the brown shoe uh, culture. Be able to explain what's going on out there from not not from an idea, right? But but from blood and sweat and experience. That's why I like going there. It's fun for me. I went to a big uh, writers festival in California, and man, every swinging dick was there. Every smart person, every big writer, and I'm like, well, what? well I know the people. You know what I mean? I know the streets. You know, I know what GDP means. I know what, I, I lived in Europe. I understand Brexit. So there's got to be some of that too. Otherwise, we're just going to have Michael Cohen ad nauseum. So, I mean, just, just with all of that, it's, uh, it, it definitely does exemplify the schism that we're seeing. And just folks, the folks that are listening right now, since, since Charlie did kind of put me in a corner, I might as well make this announcement now. Um, my upcoming book, How Succeed in Politics and Other Forms of Devil Worship, I'm dedicating an entire chapter to my mall cop journey. <laughs> nice! <laughs> so if you want to know about the time that I got chased out of Victoria's Secret by a 300-pound woman shoving seven layers of bras underneath her tank top and how a homeless person tried to tell me how the world would end, you'll, you'll go ahead and, you know, read about it there. So there you go. Can, See? You yeah, well done. <laughs> well done. That's worth reading. It's, uh, it, it's, it's going to be interesting. And the summation is the point is what did you learn as mall cop? You don't want to grow up to be a mall cop. <laughs> <laughs> there's a there, there's a lot more into it. You know, I, I I can I can kind of jump into this a little bit, but you know, I have I have a I have a subchapter in the draft I had where it's called um, you know how how to how to avoid someone tossing sharp dangerous objects at your face, and you know from you know from 
you know, just someone looking at that, they're like, what, what does, what does having to avoid getting shit thrown at you have to do with this? But there's a whole lesson to be learned in why, why do people toss rocks at windows? Sometimes it's not just because they want to break it. Sometimes it's because they want to be seen. Before, before a woman driving a Lexus throws an iPhone at you, you might want to ground them to earth and let them know that the iPhone is $500 and it's not worth that. So I'll charge a trip to jail. Because I don't think Louis Vuitton shoes are really going to bend well when you're going to the county clink at that point. And what, what makes somebody want to turn violent? Ultimately, you know, coming, coming from a Christian worldview, I believe that we're all flawed, we're all broken people. But in the United States, most people are not typically violent. When you look at the giant population of the United States, I've lived in the upper crust income communities to Schittsville, Alabama. People are genuinely don't want to turn violent. So what makes someone do that? It's understanding these things that uh, unless you've experienced it, you're never necessarily going to truly understand it. And it's really a testimony to the human experience in that sense. And it was a great opportunity. If, you know, if I had to go back and change time, I would, I would have still taken that mall cop job because I'm a better person for it. And stories like that, that no one ever writes about, you know, and if this, uh, this, uh, Podcast thing doesn't work out for you, man. You might have to go back. See, let me tell you what I did. Trump won. <laughs> Trump won. Trump won. And look, like his second week into it, second or third week into his announcing, you know, his running for president and his, <laughs> you know, like, oh, my God, the guy flamed out in five seconds. He announced for president. He calls Mexican rapists and put a fork in him. But he, I thought he might catch on. And about the second or third week, he comes to Flint, and I, I'm there as a member of the media, and I raise my hand, and I tell him, um, I brought my resume. I think you can win. And he goes, oh, that's, you're right. This guy's got a lot of credibility. He, which question? I go, my resume. I brought it. Maybe uh, you're looking for vice presidential material, and I, I don't think you're saying stuff right. You might, you might be right about some of this, but, you know, I can help you. And he goes, what, you want to be vice president? I said, sure, why not? To which he and all the media laugh at me, which is the only time they laughed together since. And the night of the election, it's there. It's on. It's on uh, Twitter somewhere, some Facebook Live or something. I said, I don't know. I don't know. I I I, I think it's going to be way closer than you think. And Michigan might deliver this. And so it, it could be historic. That was just as the polls closed. And as the night goes on, yeah, uh-oh, the faces get long, the anchor man's concerned, the pollster's blown it, and there's no room for me, you know, on that TV set, having been the guy sucking the tear gas and, you know, hanging out on the oil derricks and stuff to kind of explain what's happening. And so I leave. I'm done. I'm, take, I'm taking a break. I'm going to write this book. And... Amongst the other things I do, I write for a website called Deadline Detroit. You know, it's billionaires behind it. And, uh, you know, we're scrapping. We're pulling down the corrupt politics of Detroit, which never seem to go away. But what I also do is I'm a handyman at a diner. I fix the coolers. I charge the compressor. Plunge the toilets. Paint the building. Fix the foundation. Tear out the walls. Do the masonry work. And the reason I'm doing that is to remind myself of 
where I'm from, that if the shit really hits the fan, I know what to do, and that I'm making a gesture. And please, guys, don't 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 tweet me and stuff. Call me a jackass, and you know, ooh, gesture. I, but I am making a gesture to my community that I'm with you, that I'm from working people. I'm not too good to work. That I could take my big shot TV job, flush it, be down with you, and report from the streets. You you'd be surprised what you see on your knees. When you're fixing the foundation of a building, you will notice that the cigarettes are smoked down to the butt. You know, everybody's hearing about the Detroit comeback, and man, we're back. We're not back. The cigarettes will tell you everything. And good, if you go to Wall Street, you'll notice half-smoked cigarettes, right? You're rich. A couple puffs, throw it away. In Detroit, you'll never find that. All the way to the end, you'll find needles. You'll find babbling, marauding, homeless people while you have the new sort of gentrified uh, crew walking around them and that disconnect. I've never seen so many homeless people wandering around. So the view from the corner, from the ground, is different from up above everybody. And so all day long, I, I, you know, I'm thinking about just going to Europe and living as an illegal immigrant and writing about it. Because when Europe loses its mind, the world is on fire. And Europe's starting to lose its mind. So I just think there's just value, tremendous value, the only value, in the great sea of human beings, my countrymen. I, I love you. I love this country. It's badass. It's crazy. And I'm part of it. And I want to I wanna leave something. So... Charlie, I kind of want to rewind a little bit. Um, Sorry, was I going off? Huh? I'm oh, just trying no, to fill no, an hour. A lot of stuff I definitely want to cover, but I kind of want to jump on something you mentioned a moment ago. Um, I, I've read your book, Detroit and American Autopsy, and I was talking to a few uh, friends and colleagues of mine that I was having you on, and you know, I, I referred them to Detroit specifically to learn a little bit more about you and your life. But well, one of the questions that, they overwhelmingly asked me was, Detroit is a shithole. Why would he stay? What the fuck are you, Trump? Trump? What's with that? <laughs> Come on, <laughs> motherfucker. Their words, not mine. <laughs> oh, so people do use those words. Oh, okay, go ahead. Anyway, yeah. They, they need no, to hang out with me more often. I've been saying mean, shithole longer. But like this, Detroit's president. rough and it's, and it's run down, that, right? That's it. It's rough and it's run down. Okay, why would I stay? Is that what you're asking? Why would I yeah. stay here? Oh, well, funny thing is I moved back here. I left the New York Times. I was living in L.A. We had our first and only child, praise be to God. My wife got the job she was, you know, working for her adult life. I, I, I'll stay at home. I get to raise my kid. I work hard. After about a year of L.A., when you're not hot shot reporter guy with a, you know, travel budget and having cocktails on Hollywood Boulevard. Let's go home. My wife's born and bred in Detroit. I'm from here. We have a daughter. I couldn't imagine raising an only child in Los Angeles because I could see her at one year old being a 14 year old with the blue eye shade and the halter top walking up and down Melrose. I didn't want that. 
It says, what do we know? We know Detroit. Where are the grandmothers? They're in Detroit. Where are her cousins, which will be her brothers and sisters when she's older because she's an only child? They're in Detroit because this is my home because my very great grandfather paddled in here with Antoine Cadillac and married my grandmother's family who's been here for a thousand years because my grandfather, a Creole from Louisiana, makes his way up here during the Great Migration and is so light-skinned he decides he's now white because he can get away with it. Because all of that, that great history, the present-day blood, my brothers, right, the lake that I love, is here. This is my home. Why would I be anywhere else? So how's your wife got feel when you say you want to go be an illegal immigrant in Europe? <laughs> She's like, hey, motherfucker, you're going to put us up in London. <laughs> <laughs> it's more my daughter it's more my daughter you know she's got her friends and everything so you know I, you know, I said you got, you got friends whose you know, moms and dads work in the automotive business and they gotta move away for a while let's, let's just go for a year so it's just something I'm thinking about I didn't say I'm doing it but you know I'm not getting younger man and I love adventure and there's no, no better form of writing than adventure you know not not the, the perspective of of you in a foreign land, but but you bringing a foreign land to someone else, right? There's a difference. Like it's not ooh how exotic and strange. It's really trying to bore in there and figure it out because you know for a lot of Americans, Europe is 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 the home of their forefathers. So it's interesting to to go back home in that way. You know, like why go to why go to Poland? Because man, it's off the chain, dude. And there's a lot of people with Polish blood that are interested in it because it's a great way to spend your life if you can do it, if you got the balls to do it. But again, I've always decided in my career, and you know, like I said, it's New York Times and Fox, and I know some, you know, some some players in this business. The, the goal was to, to get overseas, you know, Moscow Bureau and, you know, Delhi and whatnot, Africa, Nairobi. I'm like, what? I'm going to stay in the middle of the empire. I'm, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to make myself an expert on the people here. So, Charlie, we've got to go ahead and, you know, wrap things up in a few moments, but I just want to congratulate you folks. For those of you that don't know, Charlie's podcast, The No Bullshit News, which you can go ahead and find on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are available. Last month, within just a handful of episodes, broke 500,000, half a million downloads. Just yeah, in, in like 16 shows. Well, we also do a little national news, but we only do it in this way. We have to have some kind of connection to it, right? Because everybody's a commentator, so you don't need me to tell you about Cohen, but... Next week, uh, it's scheduled, we'll see. But, you know, Maggie Haberman from the New York Times, that's an old colleague of mine from my time in New York. She's killing it. She's awesome. She's there. So as a friend of mine, let's have her on because it can be 
relaxed. It doesn't have to be harumphy and, you know, makeup and girdles and, and spotlights and talking points, right? It's a friend. And maybe you'll learn something about her as a person going through this. That's kind of what we're after. Plus, <clears throat> excuse me, we do, you know, Michigan politics the hard way when nobody else wants to do them. The corruption in City Hall, right? The corruption in Lansing. Everybody gave up on Flint. We do not. And we all, I also have a, an intern. He's uh, 58 years old. Uh, oh, that's pretty normal. Yeah. You know, he, he lives in the hood. He doesn't have hot water. You want to be a mall cop? Dude, this guy can't keep a job, man. But you know what? He's got a great heart. So you know what we do? When we, Detroit went through a foreclosure crisis, 150,000 properties changed hands in a decade because people couldn't make their property tax. The Wayne County treasurer in charge of this, his wife and kids are buying up these houses when they're not allowed to, and they're not paying their taxes. So ethically, this guy's bankrupt. You got to go. You got to go. Stop with the parsing and with the loss. You got to go, dude, because, you know, that was a tsunami. Okay, so he's dodging the media. We, we broke that story, by the way. He's dodging the media. He's dodging us. And so I send Joe, the 58-year-old intern, in a chicken costume to the treasurer's office to get in there and make a scene. And lo and behold, he corners the treasurer. And the treasurer goes up the elevator, across the parking deck, up six flights of stairs, across the roof, down the elevator, and he's trying to run from my 60-year-old chicken. And it was beautiful. And we, we, we in a funny way, where nine-year-olds are watching this thing, and they're now interested in municipal politics. You know what I mean? Because why, why is he in a chicken outfit? Who is that guy? What did he do? You can now take... The old school journalism, reading those contracts, right? Reading those deeds, reading those tax assessments, putting it together, doing this, the good old school, you know, uh, shoe leather reporting. And then the new eras come, the YouTube, the, you know, the, the jackass, the daily show. There, there's so much media out there that, look, there's only two rules anymore in journalism. One which is the old rule, get it right. And the second rule is be interesting. Don't be boring. After that, if you're right enough times, people start to respect you and they feel that you've got their best interests in mind. And so that's why I'm going to stay here because I love this community and I think this community loves me. So I got totally distracted did you already own the chicken suit, or did you have to go find it? Amazon, baby. <laughs> there in two days. Oh shit, folks! You can you cannot make that shit up at all, Charlie. Uh, we're, we're at the end of the show. Thank you so much for coming on and oh, for sure. reading your work. And you know, a fan of the Americans, you know, this, this has been a true honor for me. So I do appreciate that immensely. Oh, you're a cool guy, man. I wish you all the luck. And let me know when the book's coming. I'll go get it. Well, I definitely appreciate that. And, hey, if people want to go ahead and follow you on Twitter, social media, all that evil nonsense, how could they do so? Charlie LaDuff. You put that on Facebook or Twitter, you'll find it. Uh, LaDuff with an E, L-E-D-U-F-F. Simple stuff. Charlie, thank you so much. Have a great day. You too, bro. Talk to you.
Folks, there's so much out there. And in, in today's highly connected, high-speed environment, journalism is changing. Everything is changing. It's not changing because of one person, but it's changing because we as a society are, are saying to ourselves, something has to be different. When I was a mall cop, I was still covering stories about Eric Holder that got picked up in other outlets. When I was working at GameStop, I was still putting out op-eds that were criticizing the people that were going ahead and making life difficult for my neighbors and my friends. I didn't need to sit down in a newsroom with my fancy brown leather shoes, which I do own, and I am proud of those shoes, and get this done because it mattered to me. And in today's day and age, in 2019, you yourself can go out there and pursue truth. As always, I'm Remsa W. Martinez. This is the Remsa Martinez Experience. Good night, everyone. See you next week. Bye.